0: It's crazy what's going on in people's houses that people really aren't talking about. And you know, it doesn't have to be that way. If you as a parent are, are not happy with the sleeping situation or you feel like your kids aren't getting enough sleep, like there are solutions. There, there are ways out of it.
1: Welcome to another Enter the Chat episode of the Mom Force podcast, where a special guest Answers your questions. And today we're talking all about sleep with Jessica Burke of Awesome Little Sleepers. But before we get to the episode, the holidays are here and it's not too late to gift chat books. We make it super easy to gift a subscription for three, six, or even 12 months. They come in a beautiful array of colors and you can choose from minis, softcover, or hardcover. The books just start at $21 for the year. But Keep a close eye on the Chatbooks app because I have some insider knowledge that very soon all gifted subscriptions will be 20% off. That makes gifting an annual subscription less than the cost of dinner. (laughs) Download the Chatbooks app and bring Chatbooks home for the holidays. Hello, Jessica. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so
0: much for having me. I'm so excited.
1: Okay, so your Instagram handle is Awesome Little Sleepers, which is kind of a hint to what we're focusing on here because I have all kinds of questions about my own postmenopausal sleep problems, <laughs> but that's another episode. We're going to be focusing on toddlers and preschool because you are a toddler sleep coach and a preschool sleep expert. How did you get into this line of work?
0: Yes, yes. Well, I got into it as, you know, most people do, just naturally based on my own experiences and my own stubborn kiddos. I've got two little girls. Well, they're, they're kind of tweens now, but this started really when my youngest was around three years old and we moved her out of her crib and into a big girl bed. And then like all of a sudden the freedom of this open bed was just overwhelming. And she would not stay put, didn't want to read bedtime books. She was running out of the room She was like waking me up in the middle of the night and this girl had always slept really well in her crib. So I was like, what is happening? So I really couldn't find any help. I couldn't figure out what to do. So I actually took the rather drastic step of getting certified as a child sleep consultant, really selfishly to like solve my own problems. But then once I went through that whole certification process and really figured out how to change my daughter's sleep and get her sleeping well again, I knew that there was plenty of other people that were having these same problems, but you don't really hear people talking about these big kids sleep problems. I mean, there's plenty of sleep coaches for babies. And I think as a new mom, you get into it expecting that you're going to have some sleep issues and some lack of sleep, but no one really tells you about how tough it can be once kids move into that, that big kid bed.
1: Yeah, And I will say, there are a lot of, you know, sleep coaches, especially for the newborn space. There weren't when I was having my babies. Like there was a book of how to get your baby sleep through the night. I mean, the Ferber method. Yeah. You know, there were some resources, but not the kind of personalized one-on-one coaching that is available now. And you're right. This transition from the crib to a big girl bed or a big boy bed, that is, that is tough. In fact, my sister, she had her first baby when I had my last baby. Her youngest just made this transition. And she confessed to me last night that he actually just sleeps in their bed now. And she hops around from bed to bed depending on the night and whatever's happened. So is there a right age to make that transition? Is it based on age or are there other factors?
0: Well, it's it's a few different things. I mean, I generally say to try to keep kids in the crib until they're at least three years old. And the reason okay. for that is because kids need to be a little bit mature to be able to kind of handle that newfound freedom to actually decide to stay put in the bed. So the earlier you move kids to a bed, usually the more issues that you have. But the, the two things that I say are try to wait until your kid is at least three years old And try to wait until they are already sleeping well in the crib, meaning they can fall asleep by themselves. You're not stuck in there holding their hand through the crib slot and they're already sleeping through the night. Make sure that those things are really in place before you make that switch. You're more likely to have success with moving them to the bed without any hiccups.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, in her case, they moved overseas, and so he had he was sleeping really really well in his crib, and then they moved overseas, and he was on a little cot, which the novelty of that kept him in the cot for a little while, and then the cot broke, and then it was like from Airbnb to Airbnb, and he just, you know, you just you have to survive at the very basic level, but sometimes that survival ingrains some bad habits.
0: Well, you do have to survive, and what and you know what you were describing about your sister is what I like to call musical beds. And, you know, where you're jumping around to all beds. And, I mean, I have plenty of families tell me that, like, moms will say or dads will say, like, when I, might, when I open my eyes in the morning, I'm really not sure where I am or how many places <laughs> I've been. Like, it's, oh, it's crazy what's going on in people's houses that people really aren't talking about. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that way if you as a parent are are not happy with the sleeping situation or you feel like your kids aren't getting enough sleep. Like, there are solutions. there. There are ways out of it.
1: There are solutions that yeah. I love that. There's hope. I read this quote on your Instagram, sleeping with your toddler is like sharing your bed with a drunk octopus looking for its car keys. <laughs> I was like, so true. I remember that very well with some of my kids. They always manage to end up in my bed and there is just nothing worse. And it can really take a toll on your marriage as well. So I'm so glad that you're here. We've got some specific questions from our mom force community that I'm hoping you can help us with. Are we ready to go? Of course, of course, let's okay. do it. All right, this is from Brittany. Brittany says, "What do you do if your two-year- old still gets up every single night at 3:30 a.m? I take him mm-hmm. back to his bed every time and he continues to do it every night. We have tried everything. What advice do you have for Brittany?
0: Okay, Brittany, this is this is it's very common. That's the first thing. I always want to reassure parents that like this is normal. There's nothing wrong. Your child isn't broken. You haven't done something wrong. This is not, you know, irreparable. This is something that we can fix. So there's two things that we need to look at. The first question that I would have for Brittany is how is he falling asleep at bedtime? Because a lot of these sleep issues come back to bedtime. So that's the main cause of the reason why most of the time kids are waking up in the middle of the night is because parents get in the habit of staying with their kids at bedtime. When they're falling asleep, whether they're sitting in the room with them or laying in the bed with them. And what can happen is kids develop like an over reliance on having their parent there. So imagine this the kid's falling asleep, you know, mom's laying in the bed. As soon as the kid falls asleep, she's, you know, sneaking out, army crawling out of the room, hoping the floor doesn't creak, hoping the door doesn't, you know, make any noise when she tries to shut it, right? Then the son who's asleep, Is going through all different changes in his sleep cycle all night long, right? Like deep sleep to light sleep. And in the middle of the night, he moves into a lighter stage of sleep. Normally that's when he would just roll over or pull up the covers. But he also realizes that something's missing. Mom's missing, right? And he doesn't know how to get himself back to sleep without having her there. So he's got to wake up and come find her. So that is a lot of times what happens with these overnight wakeups is that kids are so reliant on having you know, mom or dad in the room with them that they wake up and have to go back to get them again. They kind of lose that ability to fall asleep and soothe themselves back to sleep on their own. So that's the first thing I would ask Brittany. And the second thing that we need to look at is how is Brittany responding when he wakes up in the middle of the night? So if I remember correctly, you said he wakes up in the middle of the night, she tries to take him back to the room, but he just keeps crying. And he does it every night. So we're kind of missing part, a really key part of the story there, which is how does she eventually get him to go to sleep? What is she doing? So we need to look at that, right? So is she ultimately laying down with him until he falls asleep again? Is she pulling him into her bed? Because those are like pretty cozy, great responses for him, right? So we've got to look at how the parent is responding to those wake-ups. And lots of times, this is how parents report it. They just report what the kid is doing. But what I really want parents to understand is that their response to what the kid is doing is really at the heart of the issue. And that's actually good because the only thing we can really control as parents is our response, right? Like we can't like change our kid. We can't like make him stop waking up, but we can change our response our behavior. So that's my second question: is let's look at how she's responding to him, because that could also be encouraging those wakeups. So ultimately, I'd say the main goal for Brittany is to get him to fall asleep independently at bedtime. Get him comfortable falling asleep without her. That's going to ultimately prevent those overnight wakeups.
1: Yeah. And again, in the fog of war, when you're so tired and you know you got to go to work in the morning, it feels like a loving response to just pull them in bed with you and also a totally. desperate response to try to get some sleep. But maybe investing in a little more discomfort in trying to, you know, respond in a way that will give you the outcome that you want is, is worth it.
0: Yeah. And that's why, that's why, you know, luckily how he's falling asleep at bedtime is so key because if you think about it, bedtime is like, you know, seven, seven thirty. So if there's going to be some discomfort with him learning how to fall asleep independently, then you're going to handle that at 7 PM, right? You have a little bit more willpower then, right? Your house is a little bit less disruptable at that point of time than it is at three in the morning when, like you said, you're desperate. But if you can really work on him falling asleep independently at bedtime, that's going to stop the middle of the night wake-ups. So that's
1: why focusing on bedtime is really important. All right. Well, this brings up an issue that Stephanie is having because she, she says that she did sleep training with her child and that he's been going to sleep on his own for a while. But now he's been waking up at least three to four times a week. He's two and a half. So she's wondering, is this a developmental thing, or is there possibly a bigger issue at play?
0: Okay. So so he's waking up, and is he going back down to sleep quickly, or is he up for like a
1: long time? She says he stays up for an hour or two. So he's up for a while. He's okay. been going to sleep on his own, but he's now waking up and staying awake, and what, what might be happening here?
0: Okay. So, yeah, this is really different. So, I like that she pointed out that he is falling asleep alone at bedtime. So Mm -hmm. that means he doesn't have that over-reliance on her, right? So, again, the first thing would be to look at, you know, how is she responding when he's waking up? The way that you're explaining it, since she said she has done some sleep training, which means that she probably understands that the more involved that she is with his sleep, the, the more difficult it actually is for him to get good sleep. So, my guess is for Stephanie if he's awake for an hour or two, that she may not even be engaging with him, that she may mm-hmm. not even be going back in the room. So what I would say to her is, you know, if, if he's not needing anything from her, if he's just waking up and spending an hour awake and then falling back asleep on his own, I would probably have her talk to her doctor because there are some sneaky things that can cause wake-ups like this, such as like some vitamin deficiencies, low iron, like low ferritin levels. Hmm. Sometimes there's even restless leg syndrome in kids this age. Oh yeah. So if your child is waking in the middle of the night and they're up for a long period of time, they're not crying. They're not distraught. They may just be awake. They may be talking to themselves, singing, rolling around, kicking their legs, but they're not crying for you. You're not having to go in there and do anything for them. If that's the case, then it is best to talk to your doctor about looking at some of those vitamin levels because there could be something going on there.
1: Yeah, I had a couple of kids that we called it growing pains. Like they would wake up and cry and like hold onto their legs. And I don't even know if that's a real thing, but a, a rice bag, like a heated rice bag on their knees tended to soothe them and allow them to go back to sleep. And that didn't last for very long. So it felt like a, a truly a developmental you know, thing that they were going through.
0: Yeah. And absolutely. If, if you suspect something like that and you have kind of a home remedy or something that you think will work, that's, you know, totally great to give that a shot. The only problem comes in is if you find your, if, if it stops on its own, right. then great. And now they have to have a rice bag to get, <laughs> warm warm. Every night. At, sleep? At, yes. <laughs> yeah. At two o'clock you're oh like the God. rice bag delivery woman. Yeah. That's, that's, right. that's not the situation you want to be in.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. Let's move on to Alicia. Okay. Alicia says, my child hasn't had a good night's sleep in, I can't even remember how long. He has such vivid nightmares that the images stick with him. And he firmly believes that he sees, insert monster, scary cat, etc., around our house. He is up all night long and crawling into bed with me. Last night, it was six times with a stint from three to 5 a.m., <laughs> he swears that these nightmares are real. And tonight he cried himself to sleep again, whimpering, I'm so, so scared. It's killing me. Does this pass and what can I do for him? I mean, this is this is traumatic for everyone. Is this a typo- something that like you see often in, in your line of work? This does sound
0: like there's a lot going on here. It sounds heartbreaking. I mean, I yes. think, you know, as a parent, you know, I've definitely my kids have had nightmares. I've I've been in situations like this, maybe not this extreme but I've definitely been in situations like this and it's, it's not uncommon at all. So when it comes to fears, it does take a little bit of parental intuition on how to handle it. So what I will tell you about fears is it's, it's just like lots of our kids' behaviors. Our reaction can either strengthen or kind of subdue their behaviors, right? So it all kind of comes back to how we're reacting to things. So Typically when kids have, I mean, fears are normal at this age, like it's part of development. So having fears, having a nightmare, there's nothing innately wrong with that. It's just a normal part of childhood. It just happens around this age. So I always recommend that parents really make their child feel heard, right? If the child wants to talk about their nightmares during the day, let's talk about it. So one thing you could do is, you know, ask your child what was in their nightmare, what they're scared of. So in, in this woman's, I think her name was Alicia. Yes. In her case, so she could ask her son, you know, if he's saying it's a monster. Okay, well, let's talk about what does the monster look like? You know, maybe he, let's draw the monster. Have him draw the monster on a sheet of paper. She can help him. And then she says something like, wait, this doesn't look that scary. This kind of looks silly. Maybe you draw big clown shoes on it. Maybe you put like a silly hat on him. Maybe you give him a silly name. So it, it, it takes... Something that was scary and makes it a little bit more silly. There's also great bedtime books about monsters. There's one called Monsters Love Underpants that is like super cute and super funny. So you can find bedtime books that kind of lighten the mood around all these topics that can really help kids and kind of get everyone laughing and and in a lighthearted mood before it's lights out time. Other things I hear that kids are often afraid of are like shadows in their room. And so if your kid is saying that, Lay in their bed, turn off the lights, see, thing from their, see everything from their perspective, right? What, where's the shadow? OK, it's right there. Maybe it's just moving a picture frame, or changing the position of a lamp or something that might look scary, or moving a bookshelf over, really listening to what they're saying and trying to address it. If they think the closet is dark, did you turn the light on in the closet and keep the door closed so it's not dark. If the, under the bed, if they think there's a monster under, under the bed, you can get little glow sticks. Sprinkle some glow sticks under the bed so there's just a little bit of illumination so they can see there's nothing under there. Another common thing that kids are afraid of, believe it or not, is the smoke detector, the blinking light on the ceiling. Oh, yeah. Just cover that little light with some electrical tape. So that makes your child feel heard, right? It gives you a way to do some response. But ultimately, as parents, we do have to reassure our kids that there is nothing to be afraid of. And kids are going to feed off of our confidence. Yeah. So in this case, if her son is continuing to say that he's you know, scared of things, if she's trying to reassure him, but then continues to keep coming back and keep coming back in his room or letting him sleep with her, it's kind of delivering a mixed message, right? Like you're saying, no, you're fine. You're safe in here. There's nothing to be worried about. But then you're constantly there protecting him. So it kind of delivers a mixed message. Like, am I really safe in here alone? Because she keeps coming back. So it's important that we respond in a way that aligns with what we're saying. It's kind of like what you hear people talk about, about preschool drop-off, where you really don't want to linger, right? You want to tell your child they're going to go to school, they're going to have a fun day, they're with their teachers, they're with their friends. But if they're crying at the door and you keep coming back to give them another hug they're like, is this safe? Like she's feeling uneasy about the whole thing, right? You know, you're kind of delivering a mixed message. So it's kind of the same thing with, with fears at bedtime. And again, normal fears are, are part of childhood and can help kids develop a, a sense of self-reliance, which is really important. If you think it's something extreme, then of course, talk to your doctor right. if there's been any trauma, but generally these are things that kids can work through on their own.
1: Yeah, I love that you pointed out the importance of just letting your kid be heard and and validate their fears. Like even though there is no threat in their bedroom, like really letting them express what it is and and having that opportunity to be heard goes a long way. I mean, in preschoolers, in teenagers, in adults, <laughs> we all just want to be validated in in what we're feeling. Um what about night terrors. Like, is that something different? We had an anonymous question actually submitted about her child who is up through the night, trembling, shaking, sweating, moaning, crying, screaming. And then after two or three minutes, yawns, falls back asleep. And is that normal?
0: So that, that definitely sounds like a night terror. And a lot of times people confuse night terrorism and nightmares. They are very different. So my oldest daughter actually had night terrors. So I've experienced this firsthand. A night terror is exactly kind of what you described. It typically happens in the first part of the night before midnight, whereas Mm -hmm. nightmares typically happen after midnight. Night terrors, the child will appear to be awake, but they're actually dead asleep. They might be crying. They might be yelling. They might be saying like really scary things like stop, stop, or don't. And the hallmark of a night terror is if a parent comes in the room, the child is not calmed by that because the child is actually asleep. So if the child recognizes you and is clinging on to you, that's not a night terror because in a night terror, the child is asleep. So the recommendation there is you don't wake them. You just make sure they stay safe. Sometimes they might get up and walk around their room. So you just want to make sure they stay safe. But typically, like you said, as, as awake and as scary and as like exorcist-like as it seems in the moment, the next second they'll just be dead asleep. And they typically don't remember it in the morning. So it's way more scary for the parent than the child. So it's something they just outgrow
1: and you just have to...
0: So they can it. outgrow it. So not getting enough sleep can be a cause. So I would try moving bedtime maybe 20 minutes earlier to see if that helps resolve them. Typically, they kind of happen sporadically. So there's not really much you can do about them. If they're severe and they're very frequent, like they're happening every night consistently, and it usually might be around at the same time, like 10.30 every night, you can go in maybe five minutes early and don't wake up your child. Maybe just roll them over or rustle them a little bit to break them out of wherever they are in that sleep cycle. That Mm -hmm. can be a solution sometimes, but moving bedtime earlier can help too.
1: Okay. Speaking of bedtime, what is, like, is there a, just universally good bedtime for kids at this age group, like preschool, early elementary age?
0: So kids under the age of six should be asleep by 8 p.m. Okay. That's kind of a good general rule. And okay. then, you know, based on, so I really specialize in kids between the ages of like two and a half all the way up to eight years old. And, and the the actual bedtime will range based on if kids are still napping and things like that. But it could be as early as 6.45 as late as, you know, 7.45 if we're talking about kids under six. But yeah, generally kids under six should be asleep by 8 p.m.
1: Okay. Well, that leads me to this question from Cherie. She actually has 10-year-olds, 10-year-old twins, but maybe you can help Cherie. She says, I'm having trouble getting my 10-year-olds to fall asleep before 11 p.m. each night. We've had the same bedtime routine for years, but it's not been successful in helping them fall asleep in a timely manner. Part of the problem." is that they share a room so that they keep each other awake. They have to get up at 6 a.m. a couple times a week, and it's affecting their behavior. If we allow them to read until 8.30 or 9 and turn the lights out, but they don't go to sleep at 11, what can I do? Do you have tips for families who have kids sharing rooms? I mean, sometimes, you know, I know you specialize in 2 to 8, but I know there was a time where I had like a 2-year-old, a 4-year-old, and an 8-year-old all in one bedroom and it was chaos, but we had to do that. When my husband was in business school, you know, we just you make two. Yep, yeah. yeah, totally. Yes, I absolutely
0: help families with kids who share rooms. And yeah, I can help Shree with her 10-year-olds. So they're getting older and, you know, just they like to push the limits. I mean, all kids do. So I think that she should really think about readjusting her bedtime routine. So I like that she pointed out that she could see in their behavior that they're not getting enough sleep. Because as parents, like when we see that, that's really a red flag to us that, that something's going on. Because you know sleep is not just a nice to have. Sleep is part of your health. It's like a baseline foundational need as humans. So everybody in your family needs to be getting good sleep. So these 10-year-olds need to be getting nine to 11 hours of sleep every night. That's what's age appropriate for 10-year-olds. And so they're definitely not getting that if they're staying up till 11 and waking up at six. So I think she she said she's had a bedtime routine forever, but I think it needs some readjusting because the kids are older and it sounds like they want to talk some before bed. So I would say, I like the idea of lights out by nine. That sounds really reasonable for that age, but they need to be then going to sleep. Mm -hmm. So let's have her try reading from like eight to eight thirty And then maybe they have talk time from 8.30 to 9 where they're allowed to talk. So right now they're probably like whispering and they know they're breaking the rules and they're staying up super late. Instead, switch it around. Bake that time that they want into the bedtime routine. And then, you know, maybe mom or dad comes in one more time at 9 p.m. to turn off the lights and do the final shut it down. And don't be afraid to offer some rewards in the morning to jumpstart some good sleep behaviors. Mm. I mean, there's a lot that kids will do for a marshmallow. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you can get them, even one of them, all that has to happen is one of them yeah. needs to stop talking, right? So right. if we can say lights off at nine, if y'all can be quiet at nine and go to sleep, you can have, you know, a marshmallow or whatever. Some, doesn't have to be food related, but some little reward in the morning, that can go a long way.
1: Yeah. What about just getting your kids up? You know, if they have a schedule, when I would have to wake my elementary school kids up at eight, you know, that sometimes was really hard, depending on the kid. You know, that's the caveat on all of this is every child is different, right? Totally. Yeah. And I've had seven kids, so I've seen the range too. But any advice for moms that are having a hard time getting their kids up and going in the morning?
0: Well, you know, it kind of depends if you're saying like some kids are naturally morning people. I mean, you know, yeah. we all, we all kind of have these natural tendencies. I've got two kids and I've got one that just gets up and goes and one that's like super slow. So first off, I'd make sure they're getting enough sleep. So look at the total hours of sleep that they're getting. So the age range that we're talking about, so like two and a half to let's say 10, they need between nine and 13 hours of sleep. Obviously the younger you are, the more sleep that you need. So make sure that they're getting that right amount of sleep because that can be part of the reason why it's tough for them to wake up. They just, they're still tired. But otherwise, if you've just got a kid who's like kind of a slowpoke in the morning Unfortunately, the answer might mean waking them up 10 minutes earlier to give them that lazier wake up
1: time. So they have a little bit more time in the morning. Yeah. Just accommodations. Okay. That makes sense. Well, we are in the thick of holiday stuff. And for lots of families, that means travel. So we have a question specific about holiday travel. This is from Stephanie. And she says, I'm needing tips for traveling with two kids. We will be traveling for the holidays for the first time since having our baby who will be 13 weeks and our toddler will be almost three I'm trying to figure out the best sleeping arrangements while we are at the hotel. My toddler still sleeps in his crib and we have always had him sleep in his pack and play when we travel, but I'm thinking that we'll need that for the baby unless we can find something else. Do we just let our toddler sleep in a bed and pray that he doesn't wake everyone all at night? Such a valid question. I have memories of putting kids to sleep in a bathtub, you know, a makeshift, (laughs) you know, pack and play in a hotel. Um, What would you suggest for Stephanie? I remember putting kids to bed in a walk in closet, you know, like at someone's oh, house, yeah. you know,
0: they didn't have an extra room. I'm like, this baby needs somewhere to sleep. So <laughs> it's going in the closet, which is actually a great place to sleep. It's very dark. It's lovely. Okay. So for Stephanie, what I would say is I would not recommend putting the two year old in a bed. If they've, if they've always been sleeping in a crib and they're sleeping well, let's stick with it. Because what you really don't want to do is you don't want to ruin your whole holiday by having your kid waking everybody up all night. But you also really don't want to start any bad sleep habits that you're going to take home with you. Because I hear this all the time. This is why like my phone rings off the hook in January, because people are in this exact same situation and they're like, well, we had to let our two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old sleep with us for a week at grandma's house. And now we're home and we can't get him back into his own bed. So sometimes even a few nights of you know, a different sleeping situation can really throw things off when families get home. So I would say, keep the two-year-old in the pack and play, take that pack and play. That's where the two-year-old sleeps. If he's happy in there, that's the best idea. So then we've got the baby to deal with. And I would either say, borrow a pack and play, rent a pack and play. There's companies, a lot of companies where you can rent different baby items in different cities Look that up or even ask the hotel if they have rollaway, like rollaway cribs. A lot of them do that you can, that you can get for a couple of nights. So keep everyone in their sleep space that they are familiar with.
1: Yeah. In 13 weeks, I mean, that's still a pretty young baby. It's not going to move around a whole lot. Like I've made little makeshift beds on floors of hotels, like rolling up pillows and towels to create a boundary. Like I think keeping the two and a half year old in what he's used to is smart because there's potential for utter chaos if you break those habits.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Utter chaos. So yes, absolutely. Keep them
1: in in the spaces that are familiar. Okay. And if things go awry and come January, (laughs) you need help figuring out how to get everyone back on their sleep habits. How can people find you to get professional certified help? Because I think it's important to point out that there are a lot of people giving sleep advice and not everybody maybe could be trusted. Maybe you can speak a little bit to that really quick as we wrap yeah, up here. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately,
0: sleep consulting, sleep coaching is not a regulated industry. So anybody can say, oh, I'm a sleep coach. So really make sure that you are listening to people who are trained and certified experts when you're looking for help. I mean, I think that's true for all types of parenting advice. I think with you know all the social media these days, there's so many different people that you can follow and get advice from that. It's important that you know who you're listening to. So, so yes so I am certified through kind of the original certification group called the family sleep Institute. So all those baby and toddler books that you have read or wanted to read or are Mm -hmm. gathering dust on your (laughs) bookshelf, because who the heck has time to read a book? I've read all those. (laughs) So yes, I read all of those during my certification process. I've read, I've read all the research. I've done research papers. I've had like over 90 hours of training to be certified as a sleep consultant. So yes, if people need to find me, I'm, I'm on Instagram at awesome little sleepers. Awesomelittlesleepers.com is my website. And I do offer a, I have a free toddler sleep masterclass that people can take if they really want more information and a better idea of why these sleep challenges keep continuing in their house. And so people can sign up for that on my Instagram or at my website.
1: Awesome. So good. Thank you so much, Jessica. You're amazing. And I hope you have a fabulous happy holiday. Thank you so much. Oh, how I wish there were sleep consultants when my kids were all young. I hope Jessica was able to answer your sleep questions. Thank you for being a part of this community and showing up. I hope your holidays are wonderful and restful until next time.